Woo. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as we continue our series getting ready for prophetic presbytery, which will begin with a worship night with Michael Wally next Sunday night. Well, it's kind of our ending the summer, looking into the school year, time of worship and prayer, and then the Monday night and Tuesday night with prophetic presbytery. You say, what is prophetic presbytery? It's just the way we we platform the gift of prophecy in a way that's healthy, that strengthens the church. It's an incredible just couple of nights of being together as a church family as closing out the summer, just seeing God do incredible things in people's lives. And so I encourage you to be there. Uh, I am making a kind of a hard right turn. We've been up to this point uh, preaching and teaching on how you can personally hear God's voice to strengthen your relationship with him because you're a sheep. You can hear the shepherd's voice. Today we're going to make a kind of hard right turn into prophecy and the gift of prophecy and what is that and what does that mean and you know I've never really heard that you may have been like me where you hear prophecy you think of Nostradamus maybe you think of uh, end times prophecy think of David Jeremiah John Hagee the book of Revelation or, or maybe you think of the Trump prophecies and prophetic things with regards to that or maybe you have bad experiences with prophecy and if I was going to be honest I've had some really bad experiences with I won't say the gift of prophecy, but with people who mishandled the gift of prophecy. It's much like, you know, I, I don't have a problem with, with, you know, a gun per se, but I do have a problem with people that mishandle guns, right? And so it's the same thing with the gift of prophecy. I don't have a problem, but I did, felt like I had a problem with the gift of prophecy. I just had people around me that misused it, not for the in purpose intended by God, but for selfish desires and intentions. I've seen it misused. And years ago, Twain and I were on vacation and we like to go to church while we're on vacation because we're not vacationing from God. We're vacationing from you. And so we want to go, like, spend time with God. And, uh, and so we were in Panama City Beach, went to a, a church in Panama City. And so I, I, I've been in church world. I, I know the routine. Like, I can, I can tell what type of church this off the get, right? So we walk in. They start late. But then everybody starts kind of getting in at the same time. So I already know it's going to be a long day, right? So they start going. The... The announcements turns into a 45-minute appeal why you shouldn't be using the ESV or NIV Bible because those are evil. Only the King James Bible is the proper Bible, so I'm already knowing where we're going, right? And he begins to preach. When he begins to preach and he goes to the altar call, like, as a guest, I'm not leaving till you dismiss me. That's just kind of how I am. I'm the kind, nice person. Everyone else starts leaving at the church. So I already know that was just the pregame show, right? They're about to get into the real game. And they go to the altar moment, and so I'm trying to be kind, and toys, let's just go, I'm like, babe, like, let's just be courteous, let's wait. And so, how many of you have ever been to a, a church that if you don't go to the altar, the altar will come to you? Right? Y'all been there, right? So we don't go down forward, we're just praying, like, da da da. And my, my eyes are closed, I'm holding Toy's hand, and I feel somebody in front of us. And I look, and this woman left the altar to come to Toya, and she starts trying to prophesy over her. She's like, man, I just feel like there's something in you you need to let go of. And, and you know, it gets real ambiguous and vague. And Toy's like, I, man, I don't. And she's just trying to be, she's the sweet version. I'd be like, you're crazy. Like, that's my person. She's like, oh, man, I, just, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's smiling. The lady's like, well, you know, maybe it's something. And she starts trying to dig in. And Toy's like, no. And, and so it's, I'm letting it go. I enjoy these moments of embarrassment. Like, I love a little bit of crazy in church sometimes. And. And so I'm watching Toy, and she's just trying to be so nice. And it's going on for minutes. And so finally, I'm like, I try to save her. I reach over. I say, hey, man, this is my wife. She looks at Toy. She's like, it may be something even your husband doesn't know. 
So at first I'm like, maybe she's a false prophet or maybe Toya's holding something back. <laughs> right? Like, so that, that's not the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is not trying to endorse politicians or try to connive something. The gift of prophecy is this beautiful tool God gives the church to strengthen the believers and build and unite his church. Right? And so in order for the gift to be utilized correctly, you have to utilize it in the Bible-given way, not in a selfish, emotional way. And Paul gives us that in 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 1. He says this, pursue love. Everybody say pursue. Notice he doesn't say pursue the spiritual gifts. He says pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So he's saying, this is a commandment. There's a, a guy who's a reformed in town, a young guy. He actually had coffee with me. He said, hey, I got a problem. And I said, what's your problem? He says, well, you know, I'm a reformed believer that's mostly cessationist, but I have this problem with 1 Corinthians 14, that if I believe the Bible, literally Paul is giving me a commandment to pursue spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He's commanding you to pursue these things. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and their encouragement and their consolation. I don't think anybody has a problem with being built up, encouraged, and comforted, and consoled. We just have a problem with the tool that does that in the Bible. The one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all, Paul say, I want you all to speak in tongues. Everybody say all. That means he wants you to speak in tongues. But even more, he wants you to prophesy. So I wish everybody would pray in tongues, but even more, I wish everybody would prophesy. For the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. For some reason, Paul is consumed with the church being built up and being strengthened. And he says that prophecy is one of the greatest ways to strengthen and build up the church. But that is not my experience. My experience is people have used prophecy to divide the church and to tear down the church. Paul says it's here to build up and strengthen the church. And so he gives us a framework or filters to judge prophecy to see if it's God's form of prophecy or if it's man's form of emotionalism. And as he lays it out, he gives us a description of what should be going on in the church of Corinth. Now, if you're not a, a Bible theologian or scholar, the church at Corinth, which is the letter of 1 Corinthians, is a church. This church was cuckoo land. This church was full of chaos. This church was full of spiritual gifts. There was running around. There were scriptures, all types of manifestations of the, of the spirit. But one of the things that was missing the most was love. And Paul condemns this church. Because they had all the religious things, but missed all the heart things. And so this letter is descriptive of what can go wrong if you get out of the boundaries of God into the boundaries or the freedoms of man. And it gives us a prescription on how to prevent ourselves from getting there. Because what he's saying is that we need to be built up, but y'all are tearing each other down. He says even in communion, there's rivalries. Even their communion, there's dissension. Even their communion, you're putting rich people at the head of the table and poor people in the back. He's like, what is wrong with you? What is wrong? And I could think he could say that to the Church of America. 
I look at even in communion, there's divisions amongst you. Are you this denomination or that denomination? Are you this political party or that political party? Are you this socioeconomic status? Are you this race? All these divisions, all this discord. And Paul is saying, what in the world is wrong with you? If you're truly filled with the Spirit, you wouldn't be tearing each other down. You'd be building each other up. And if we really wanted to you know, reverse engineer, what he's really saying is, y'all are really acting like the world. You know what the world likes to do? No longer do we fight wars with guns and ammo. Now we fight war with two things, money and words. Money and words. America doesn't send troops to Ukraine. We send a bunch of money and we talk a whole lot of things with a whole lot of people. Right? When it comes to life, you look at social media. How are wars fought on social media? Through words. Can I tear them down? Can I, can I separate them from everybody else? Can I divide? Can I conquer through words? We see it in abusive homes. It's done by words. We see it in politics. It's done by words. We see it with bullies. It's done by words. Make no mistake about it. Guns and bats and, and all these things hurt. But words are the enemy's choice for a weapon in warfare. It's his weapon of choice. And God has a weapon to counteract that weapon. He just calls that weapon prophecy. Where the enemy wants to tear you down and, and, and antagonize you, God wants to build you up and strengthen you through the gift of prophecy. Because we all need it. Even before I came to preach, David Stone, God bless his soul. If you don't know David Stone, he can encourage you and discourage you with the same sentence. He comes out, he's like, hey, he's like, when you first moved here nine years ago, you'd have to turn sideways twice just to cast a shadow. He said, you have no problem casting a shadow today. <laughs> like, you know, this is called wisdom. Wisdom. Right? Like, no matter where you go, it's, it's, we joke, we tear down. It, but God has this weapon, this, this gift. You can you interchange the word gift with weapon or tool, Right? It's a gift, a tool God gives the church to strengthen the church and build up and comfort and console the believer. And so the problem with it is if you push away the gifts of the Spirit, what you actually push away is the ability to comfort one another and to encourage one another and to strengthen God's church. The gifts are not given to the believer to have a gift. The gifts are given to the believer to build up and strengthen the church. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What Paul is saying is prophecy is speech that's birthed in the spirit of God that gives grace to everybody who hears it. And so my question would be this, what if all speech was birthed or washed in the spirit of God? In the church, what if all our speech was wrapped up or, or birthed or washed in the Spirit of God. It would all be edifying. It would all be conf- comforting. It would all be consoling. It would all build up. It would never tear down. But we know the church is at its weakest when we get away from birth, uh, spirit birth speech and get into fleshly birth speech. And so prophecy is this speech that's birthed in the Spirit of God. And so here we're going to dig into the Scripture. Paul begins, he says, first, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The, the key there is pursue love before you pursue spiritual gifts. Right? So 
pursue love. Love is the mission of the church. The gifts are the tool of the mission. Pursue love before you pursue gifts. The problem with this is this. In charismatic Pentecostal circles, that we would read this as pursue the gifts and desire that you love. Right, because I, I, I've been in spirit-filled circles now for 20 years. I've heard more sermons about the spiritual gifts than I have loving your neighbor. I've heard more sermons about your gift and prophecy and tongues and baptism in the Holy Spirit than I actually have loving your enemy. Right? And Paul here saying, listen, you pursue love. That word pursue in the Greek means to chase after it. To meaning that it should always be in front of you. Love should always be in front of you and you should be chasing after it. Meaning you've never actually gained a hold of love because Jesus is love and we can never meet that standard. But you should be chasing so hard to love people that it's always in the forefront of your mind. But that word earnestly desires, not chase after. It's to pray for. It's to ask for. It's to want it. See, one thing you pursue, the other thing you ask for it. Now, the problem with us is when you start getting into gifts, people love gifts. Why? We're selfish people. We want something from me. This is my gift. What he's saying here is this gift is not yours. It's not, my, I have the gift of prophecy. I knew somebody who gave me their business card and it said the word profit on it. I was like, bro, if you were a prophet, you wouldn't have to tell me you were a prophet. Jesus with the woman at the well, he starts telling her what was going on. Hey, I know this guy's not your husband you married. This time, she said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Your gift makes room for you, but your gift is to advance the mission of God. Your gift is not for you to work on and practice and play with in the house of God. It's two totally different concepts. And so when you start to understand that the highest priority in the kingdom of heaven is not spiritual gifts, it's actually love. It's the highest priority. It's the standard of all standards. It's, it's the, the mission. It's to go into all the world and make disciples. But the great commandment that helps us do that is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't say go into all the world and prophesy and speak in tongues and cast out demons. All, that's what we want to do. But just imagine how much better it would be if you had the spiritual gifts with an amazing amount of unconditional love. Just imagine how much better the world would be if spirit-filled believers had the power of God but also the love of God and brought the two things together to advance the mission in the kingdom of God. And so it's two totally different concepts. The other side is people say, well, pastor, you know, I don't know about prophecy. You know, I don't have that gift. Well, Paul in the scripture, he says, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. But even more, I wish that all of you would prophesy. Now, now, understand the giftings and all this stuff, but here's what I think you say. I think these two giftings are different than the listing of giftings of word of faith, word of knowledge, miracles, healing. I think it's different. Why? I think those things are circumstantial. I think those things could be particular people. But when he says these things, I think he's saying these two things are inside of you because the Spirit of God is inside of you. That if the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you have the ability to, to pray in tongues because it's the spiritual language, it's the language of heaven. But you also have the ability to prophesy because prophecy is nothing more than whatever the Holy Spirit says to you, you say to somebody 
else. And so I think he's saying these two things are vitally important because everyone in this room, I believe, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, can pray in tongues and can prophesy. He said, why do you say that? Because in the world, things are separated between elites and not elites and gifted and talented and those who are not gifted and talented. But in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, it's different. In the kingdom of heaven, everybody gets to play. Everybody. One of my frustrations in the staff will know and my friends will know, I hate the Old Testament theology that people bring into the New Testament church. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? I hate the temple theology that we have to get to the house of God for people to get saved. We have to get to the house of the God for the presence of God to be there. That's Old Testament theology. The veil has been torn. I hate the difference between the, the pastors and the laity. You know, that's the pastors. There's, no, we're all priests. Now, I'm calls you a priest. Touch your neighbor and say, you're a priest. I'm a, I, we got clerical collars at the door. Everyone can pick up on your way out. But you're all priests. The Bible calls you a priesthood. Why is that important? The priest in the Old Testament had access to the presence of God. That access to the Holy Spirit. That access to make sacrifice. That access to praise. That access to worship. That access to do ministry. You now have access to God and he wants you to do ministry. And he gives you tools or gifts to do ministry with. That the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament is this. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit resided in a temple that once a year... The Levitical priest, the high priest could go into the tabernacle or the temple and make a sacrifice, but only one man per year could actually meet with God. And it says in the Bible, when Jesus was crucified and he cried out with his last breath, it says the earth shook and the veil in the temple was torn in two. Now, this veil is not some sheet you hang up over your windows. Many people think it's a three-foot thick curtain that separated the two. And it was ripped or rended in two. Why is that important? Not only could the Holy Spirit get out and occupy all the earth, but now you have access to God. So in the New Testament, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means you are a priest, which means God has a ministry for you to do. And the church is only healthy and only strong when everybody's in the game. What I love about VBS, there's so many people in the game. What I love about mission trips is 23 people are in the game. Mission trips are the greatest place to try out and experience ministry if you've never experienced ministry before. Because you'll go and you're going to lay hands on the sick. You're going to share the gospel. You're going to lead people in prayer of salvation. You're going to lead people in worship. You're going to do the work of ministry, which is what we're all called to do. The reason the church in America is sick is because we no longer have a priesthood of believers, we have spectators of a performance. It's the reason we're sick. Most people couldn't, most of us in this room could not lead somebody to the Lord in salvation. Because you've been sitting in church listening to me lead people in an altar response, which is different than sitting across the table for somebody in coffee. We have a whole generation of people that you think being a believer is literally coming to church, watching a sermon, maybe mouthing a few lyrics to a few songs, hearing a prayer, and going home and trying not to cuss too much or drink too much. That's not Christianity. Christianity is this. Jesus invites you into his family, gives you the keys to the family business, 
says, I want you to advance my business, my kingdom all across the earth. I'm going to give you my spirit to empower you to do that with. And I'm going to give you these tools to help you accomplish that. And I'm going to give you this team of believers that walk beside you to help make sure that happens together. And so what that is, that is called the priesthood of believers. And what I love is that it means you're chosen. How many of you, I didn't have this problem a whole lot, but how many of you had this problem where you were on the playground, maybe you're at the gym or at the YMCA, and they're picking teams, and you watch them pick, you know, they pick that guy, they pick that guy, they pick that guy, they pick that guy, they pick that girl, they pick the girl, and you're just like, are they going to pick me? Right? You know, you're playing dodgeball, you're the little, you know, I wore slim jeans, my brother wore husky jeans. He never got picked for dodgeball. He's an easy target. Right? I'd, I'd go when I was in the Air Force, I wouldn't get picked for basketball because I was the only white guy, right? So I understand. But do you realize, like, in the world, we choose people by their outward appearance? What can they do for me and for my team? And you look for, playing basketball, you pick for somebody tall. Playing football, you look for somebody strong and fast. Look, you look for soccer, you look for somebody short and quick. I don't know, I don't play soccer. You, what, hockey, you look for somebody with no teeth. I, you, you pick people that fit the team, right? And so when God picks his team, he doesn't pick like that. He picked Matthew, who's a tax collector. He picked Peter, who's a fisherman. He picked the woman at the well who's an adulterer. Like he picks these people. He's not picking like the world picks. He picks you, then he qualifies you, then he trains you, then he empowers you. That's the priest of the believer, that you don't have to have any qualifications or training. He qualifies you, then he equips you. And so the gifts of the Spirit, what he gives those who have been qualified by the blood of his son, Jesus. And it's vitally important that we realize Every single person in this room is called to ministry. You're called to ministry. You're called to be part of a church. You're called to ministry. Ephesians 4, 11. I'm going to say it real quick. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the who? The saints, which is you, for the work of what? The ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. The church is only a strong as the empowerment of the believers. The church is not, the, the New Testament church is not built on the gifts of the pastor or the gifts of the worship leader. It's not built on the gifts of the, you know, the kids' pastor. It's built on how well does the pastor, the elders, the evangelists, the apostles, the prophets, and the teachers, how well do they equip the people in the pew for the work of ministry? Because if they're equipped well and they're empowered well, then the church will be built up. That changes the game. It moves the ministry from the platform to the pew. And what happens is in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, the, there's always a separation between the platform and the pew. We, we elevate people. We put people up. But the more you begin to become a New Testament church, the more you can't really tell the difference. Where does the platform Stop, and where does the pew begin? Where does the pew stop and the pew be? Because we're all, I am the coach to coach you and to encourage you and to set the strategy out so we can go do the work of ministry together. That's the work of ministry. And he says, here's some gifts, here's some tools to help you. And the first one he says is prophecy. So well, what is prophecy, pastor? Like, is it, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up in church, you know, I didn't grow up in, in spirit field. What is prophecy? Well, there's a mighty big difference between prophecy in the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
In the Old Testament, many times we think of, you know, Jeremiah or Elijah calling down fire from heaven or foretelling the future of what's going to happen and predicting the future. And the New Testament changes dramatically on the other side of the cross. So here's a definition I got from Wayne Grudem. Old Testament prophecy is God's thoughts and God's words, right? So it's God gives them the thought, and then they use God's words to communicate that. But the New Testament prophecy is God's thoughts through human words. You say, well, that pastor doesn't seem like that's big of a difference, but it's a, a big difference. Because if it's God's thoughts and God's words, it has a mighty, mighty authority to it. It cannot be wrong. Nothing can be changed. That, but the New Testament, it's God's thoughts. He gives you a spot, a thought through one of those nine ways, dreams and visions, impressions and checks, through his word, whatever it may be. And you hear that through being a knower or a hearer or a feeler or a seer. But then you translate that through your own words. What makes that important is this. In the Old Testament, the prophets would hear God's audible voice and transcribe it. Right? That's how the Old Testament is literally. God spoke and they transcribed it and it's thus saith the Lord. In the New Testament, he speaks to you through the Holy Spirit who's now on the inside of you. Since he's on the inside, he doesn't speak as audibly as much because he's on the inside of you. And so now when he speaks through a thought or through a dream or through a vision, I have to interpret that through my personality, through my experiences, through my denominational traditions. I have to interpret that through a whole lot of stuff in my own thoughts. Is that my thought? Is that God's thought? You know, they eat the wrong pizza. What is, like you have to interpret that through some things so it doesn't have the same amount of authority as it did in the Old Testament. But it's much more accessible than it was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a few prophets. In the New Testament, now we can all prophesy. And the difference carries a lot of weight with it. It's like this. If you look at the Bible, if you read the Bible, in the Old Testament, all the prophets' words are in the Old Testament, right? You've got Daniel and Jeremiah and Hosea and, and all those. In the New Testament, the apostles' words are in the New Testament, but not the prophets. Really, so that's a very interesting distinction. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul. You have the book of James. You have Jude. You have all these books, but they're apostles. They're not prophets. And so if you want to create an equation that the Old Testament prophet is equivalent to the New Testament apostle, right? They walked with Jesus, they heard his words, they transcribed his words. But the prophet's words aren't in the Bible. If you've got your Bibles, you turn to Acts, I think Acts 11. Let's see if i got mine. And I want to show you because many times we get so caught up on, well, pastor, you know, the prophets, you know, the prophets, the Bible is complete, the Bible is canonized, we don't need prophecy anymore because we have the Bible. Well, that's not true because there's actually prophets throughout the New Testament whose words aren't in the Bible. Acts 11, go down to verse um, 27. It says, now in these days, prophets came. I say prophets. It doesn't even tell us who these guys are. So they're prophesying, but their words aren't even in the Bible. We don't know their names except for this one down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit, capital S, meaning the Holy Spirit, there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples, which were the apostles, determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. 
Agabus shows up. He prophesies. The apostles believe his prophecy. They say, hey, there's about to be a famine. We need to collect some money, send some benevolence to Judea so they're ready for this famine so they can help those who are sick or those who are poor and help them. But his words aren't in the Bible. Right? So if, I, if I'm the apostle, I'm like, man, this dude, he's dead on. Let's give him. We need the book of Agabus now, right? But it's not in there. Why? Because prophecy is so readily accessible in the New Testament it no longer carries as much weight. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, that all believers, I wish all believers could prophesy. But that doesn't mean we're the Bible. So the difference in the Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, the prophets had the highest standard. Prophecy was the standard in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's no longer prophecy. It's God's word. It's the Bible. Right? Well, how do you say that, Pastor? Because nowhere in the qualifications for leadership for elder or deacon or anywhere else, does it say one of the qualifications must be that they can prophesy? Nowhere. Nowhere does it say, in order for you to be a, a, an elder at Christ, but you must be able to prophesy. Or in order to be a deacon, you must be able to prophesy. But what it does say is in order to be a qualified elder, you must be able to rightly teach the word of God. What that means is this is now the highest standard this is the foundation, but he gives us prophecy as a tool to build people and equip people up around the Bible, which Wayne Drain, who will be here for Presbytery, says this way, prophecy makes the, the problem of the unreal Bible, it makes the Bible real again. It, it brings the word of God out of the spirit into the lives of people's specific situations to strengthen them, to comfort them, and to encourage them. And so many people are like, Pastor I just don't like reading the Bible. It's so old. It's really not relevant. It really doesn't make sense. But when somebody receives a prophecy or a word of God, what it does, it takes the word from here and applies it right to your heart and your circumstance and makes it real. It makes it alive because it is more alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so prophecy and the word of God work together to make God's love and word real to you. But here's the filter. The filter is this. The filter's not, well, did it come true? That's Old Testament. The filter's not, yeah, but what did they, we need to judge about? That's the Old Testament. I'm going to give you the filter if it's prophecy or if it's a flesh. Right, because there's some things that are fleshly in church world that we try to spiritualize. And there's some things that are spiritual that we discount. Right, so no matter what you hear at a church, we process that through our human emotions and experiences and so it's going to taste like whatever personality it comes from, right? So me and RJ, our pool has been green for like two years. Like no matter what we do, it's Alabama pollen, it's trees, it's all this stuff. And so Friday I was like, I'm sick and tired of fishing in my own pool. Like I'm tired of the frogs. I'm tired. Like I went and rented a pump. I'm going to empty this thing. We're going to start over. So I begin pumping the water out. RJ's out. He comes back home like 11 o'clock. It's still not empty. And I told him, I said, hey, like, I need you to get in there. I'm going to scrub some. You scrub some. So there's like about a foot and a half left of this nasty, dirty, muddy frog water. It's stinky. It smells like sewage. It's nasty. He's got his muck boots on. I got flip-flops on. He starts brushing. By that time, Alicia walks out of the house, and he starts scrubbing, and he starts ice skating on this wet pool liner and throws the broom up there, falls down, his boots soak up all the water inside of it. His pants are wet, and he smells like sewage. And Alicia's like, I hope we got that on video, right? While he's doing that, I'm just laughing like, man, these, these kids, they're just dumb these days. Like, 
And, and I have the hose pipe. I'm like, I could help him, or I could take a drink out of this nice hose water. This lukewarm, rubbery-tasting water. And there's just something about the, the trailer park in me that loves some good hose water. Like the, the kids, they'll drink the bottled water. Who needs bottled Bottle water is nothing more than hose water with a top on it. No, that's not. This is real water. No, it's in plastic that's been sitting in a warehouse with sun and nasty stuff. This hose water is fresh. And I think it's because it just pushes the water into your stomach. Like you drink, it pushes your cheek out and makes this big. I love it. But you know, whatever you drink out of, it's going to taint the taste of the water just a little bit. You drink out of a hose pipe, it's going to taste like the hose. You drink out of a bottle, it's going to taste like a bottle. You drink out of one of those overpriced Stanley cups, it's going to taste like aluminum. Whatever it is you choose, same way. Same thing with the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit may be pure, the water may be pure, but it may taste like the personality or the person that's delivering it. Right? So we're not, we're not talking about the taste or how you receive it. We're talking about, is this really the Spirit of God? Is this really prophecy or is this not? He gives us three tools. It says this. Prophecy is God-inspired thought that strengthens, encourages, and comforts God's people. So does it strengthen people? Does it encourage people? Does it comfort people? And does it build up God's church? These four filters are easy to see. Somebody says, I have a word from the Lord. Really? Okay, share it with me. And it's like, you're all going to hell and you're going to die. That's not the Lord. If, it's, if it doesn't strengthen the believer in the church, it's not the, it's not the Lord. If it doesn't comfort people, if it actually discomforts them or scares them without you know, the fear of the Lord, then it's probably not the Lord. If it doesn't console them or build them up, it's probably not for the Lord. And if it divides the church, it's probably not of the Lord because it's given to strengthen the churches. So the first one is true prophecy builds up other people. Like it should build up, it's what he gave it for. Truth builds people up, but prophecy builds you up and strengthens you along the journey of life. Life is hard. People are trying to tear you down. People are trying to break you down, and prophecy builds you back up. You say, well, how does it do it? One of the things we talk about here all the time is this this acronym called ICNU. I-C-N-U. Meaning anyone can prophesy. If you just sit with somebody and say, I see in you this. I see in you somebody who's been going to, through hell on earth. But God has a purpose through all this mess to strengthen you and give a testimony that strengthens other people through this. I see in you somebody who's church hurt and they're timid and they're worried about this and this. I'm here to tell you, I can't promise you won't get hurt again, but I do promise you that the blessing's not in isolation. The blessing is in community. I see in you. Anyone can prophesy if you just say, I see in you. Teachers, you go back to school. You don't have to say, thus saith the Lord. Just tell your students, I see in you. I see in you a future lawyer. I see in you a future doctor. I see in you a future teacher. I see in you a future car mechanic. I see in you. You can just speak life. Build them back up. I see somebody who's lovable and worthy and valuable. I see true prophecy builds people up. True prophecy also encourages other people. You know what the opposite of encourage is? Discourage. There's enough discouragement out there. True, Kathy, who's over Chick-fil-A, started Chick-fil-A, he said, how do you know somebody should be encouraged or not? He said, if they're breathing, they need encouragement. Right? Like Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthian church. There's persecution going around. There's anxiety going around. There's problems going around. But he says this, 
Use the gift of prophecy to encourage them. Encouragement means to place courage within them. Put courage back in them. Strengthen them with encouragement. And I, I love, do you realize the church would be the most encouraging place on planet earth? I'm not talking about in a Joel Osteen flattery type way. I'm not talking about flattery. Flattery doesn't work because it's hype. I'm talking about encouragement. Flattery is outwardly. Encouragement is inwardly. It encourages your inner man and strengthens your inner man. And it should be the most encouraging place to plan. Could you imagine if the gift of prophecy was truly working and functioning healthy in chapel? How encouraged people would leave here, being encouraged by the word of God, but also the people of God. David Ferris, one of our members, great, great guy, great friend, helps with young adults. Like he came from a, a Reformed Baptist background, right? And so he did questions about things of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And I was talking to him on the phone this week. And he says, man, like, there was a prayer meeting. He said, I was dealing with a lot. I've been praying to God, and I was struggling with some things. Like, I wasted my 20s. Like, I felt like I wasted. He went through a divorce. I felt like I, felt like I wasted my 20s, down my 30s. I just feel like I've wasted my life. He said, I'm at a prayer meeting. Didn't really want to come to prayer meeting. I just kind of came to see a couple guys to talk about something else. He's like, I'm there. And he said, Pastor Anthony kind of slid up behind me during prayer and just says, hey, I don't know what this means, but God just wants you to know nothing's wasted. Right, so it's, it's interesting to me that God can share a word that seems like it doesn't make sense to one person, but it means everything to another person. And what it does, it does this. It encouraged David that he's been in church. He's like, well, I just didn't know if I was having the same spiritual experience everybody else has. Like, I would, you know, you ever thought that, like, everybody's spiritual but me. He was in that zone, everybody's spiritual but me, and I'm praying. I feel like I wasted my 20s. And the pastor, Anthony, comes and shares this prophecy, this word of God with him just says, nothing's wasted. And God used the exact same language that David had been using in his prayers to share with Anthony to confirm that God heard David's prayers. That should encourage you to pray because you don't know how God's going to confirm his word or confirm your prayers. He also said, what strengthened me was I've never felt more connected to my church family than when I realized God was paying attention to me. And so was my church family. That's strengthening. That's the gift of prophecy. But third is this. True prophecy comforts other people. Like when you're, you're uncomfortable, when you're discomforted, when you're walking through hell, or you're walking through a difficult season, sometimes you see somebody comfort you and wrap their arm around you and say, it's going to be okay. I don't know how this is going to end up, but I'm here with you and I'm for you. The word of prophecy will comfort people because the Holy Spirit in me knows that the Holy Spirit in you needs to be comforted with. And so I'll use you to comfort other people. Because you believe it or not, you don't know what's going on in this room right now. I know we all came in. Some of you put your suit jackets on. Some of you got your t-shirts on. Some got your shorts on. Some of you have this on. Some of you put your makeup on. Some of you didn't put your makeup on. Some of you brush your teeth. Some of you maybe not. Like, I don't know. You don't know what people brought in this room. But you also don't know what addictions people brought in this room. You don't know what abuse people brought in this room. You don't know what type of church hurt people brought in this room. You don't know what type of sin people brought in this room. You don't know how many suicidal thoughts people brought in this room. You don't know what type of depression people brought in this room. You don't know what grief people brought in this room. You don't know what type of sorrow people brought in this room. You don't know what type of journeys people brought. We don't know. But the Holy Spirit knows every single situation. And he will use us to comfort one another. We're all birthing something. 
We're all giving birth to an answered prayer. We're all giving birth to a dream. We're all giving birth to a purpose. We're all giving birth to a plan. And in you, giving birth is difficult. I've not done it, but I watched it a couple of times, and it looks really hard. Right? So as much as I would like to help Toy when she's giving birth, I can't go through it with her. But I can be there with her. I can't go through it for her, but I can be there with her. And so when she's giving birth to the kids, you know, you're holding her hand. She's squeezing her hand. She's cussing you because it's all your fault. Like, this plan, she ain't cussing a lot. She ain't cussing. Like, like, I don't feel the pain. Like, for me, it's great. We're having a baby. For her, it's like, no, this is a demon coming out of me. Right? But as a husband, you hold her hand. You wipe the sweat off her, her forehead. You tell her, hey, it's going to be okay. Man, this baby's going to be amazing. This baby's going to be perfect. This baby's going to be beautiful. This baby, you're, you're comforting her as she delivers something, right? And so in this church, there's so many people giving birth to something. You're giving birth to answer prayer. You're giving birth to healing. You're going through that process. You've got a report from the doctor. You don't know how it's going to turn out, but the doctor's saying this. But you're standing. You're believing. You're trying to give birth to a healing. See, we're trying to give birth to the salvation of your kids, and that's hard because they're going the totally opposite direction. But you're praying and you're believing. You're trying to deliver this answered prayer. I can't go through that with you or for you, but I can hold your hand and comfort you. And the gift of prophecy speaks those comforting words of God's promises and his word in the middle of the marathon of faith to help you run the next lap to see God's promises come to fruition and yes and amen. Why? Why why is this important? Paul says I need the believers strengthened, but I also need the church built up. Our church is not a bunch of random people that sit on pews on Sunday morning. We are a body that is one unit. And when you're discouraged, when you're uncomfortable, when you're broken down, it actually affects the health of the entire body. And so he gives us his gifts inside the body. I'm like, like cells, cells actually help heal one another. This gift of prophecy helps us take care of each other's cells so we can be strengthened and healthy. This church is not going to be a prophetic church. We are a Jesus church with prophetic giftings. We're not a charismatic church. We're a Jesus church with a charismatic expression. But what we do need is to understand what does it look like when God's church is built up and strengthened means that everybody's cared for. It means the ministry doesn't have it here, it happens out there. It means, could you imagine what the church would look like if we actually looked like the New Testament? Where it wasn't a performance on Sunday mornings, it wasn't production on Sunday mornings, it's this moment of elevating the name of Jesus, resting in his presence, being encouraged by his word, and the gifts flowing throughout the pew to strengthen one another so as you leave, you can face whatever tomorrow has in front of you. That's the type of church I want to be a part of. I want to be part of a church where every single person is a minister. Where every single person is encouraging the people around you. Could you just imagine if every single person was encouraged in this room? What they could do tomorrow morning at work. What they could do at home tonight. What they could do. And God gives us the gift. But the only question is... Are you releasing the gift or not? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes, just one quick second. We live in a world that is completely discouraged. Completely. And the church should never be discouraged. 
We're literally given gifts to prevent us from walking through discouragement. So that's a salvation moment, but here's my prayer. That you begin listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And you begin to release that to the people around you. You say, well, Pastor, what's that look like? Well, a couple years ago in school, the Spirit, Sharon Graves is here and she's going through it. And I said, hey, if you have a word for somebody, just share the word. And she walks up, she said, I didn't really have anything. And she grabbed a hold of this young girl's hands. And the girl started saying, well, this, this, this. And she was super discouraged. And Sharon said, I just saw in big light bulb lights the word encourage. And Sharon said, you stop that. You are this. And she started encouraging her. And Sharon came up to me and she says, she's like, Pastor, Pastor, what was this? Like, I just saw these words encourage. Like, what is that? I said, that's the gift of prophecy. She said, no, I'm Baptist. I said, no, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you knows what is needed in the person around you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for an awakening of the voice of your spirit in every single believer in this room. I pray they're awakened, that your voice becomes clear and loud, whether it's through dreams and visions or impressions or checks or through your written word or through your audible voice or through the still small voice, whatever it may be. Father, I pray an awakening of your voice in their life. But Father, I also pray for this culture that Paul was talking about, that we pursue love above everything else to love one another, to love our enemy, to love those who are not like us, and earnestly desire all spiritual gifts so that we could comfort one another and strengthen one another and build each other up so that your church may be strong and healthy and functioning and being a testimony of the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen.